we're excited today to be back together. And I want to just uh, minister today on a title, that, and I haven't jumped on this before. Really, I've never taken a whole sermon to talk about this, but I, I, I feel that this is what I'm supposed to do. And we're titling this Understanding Spiritual Warfare Under Grace. And, and what does that like? I, I probably, man, I, I don't know anything that's more confusing than the subject of spiritual warfare. Some have accused me of not even believing in it. I do believe there's a warfare, but it's not out there somewhere. It's between our ears. Uh, that's where the battle is, is in our mind. And I'm not being uh, facetious by that. I'm not making that up. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible teaches us. So God doesn't need you to defeat the devil today. Uh, he's already done that through Jesus Christ. And he's already won the victory, and he's given you and I that victory through Christ Jesus. And so you're not coming, uh, you're not headed towards victory, you're coming from victory. You're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. You're on victory ground. You stand on victorious ground if you are born again. You believe that? Y'all are way too quiet on such good news. And so you're, you, the, the Bible nowhere in the New Testament tells you to fight the devil. Why do you want to beat up on somebody that's already been defeated? He's already been defeated. Your part and my part, listen, as believers, and I know you're standing, is to enforce the victory that's already been won through Jesus Christ. Well, how do we enforce the victory? Very simply, you stand on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You stand in faith in that victory. And you stand, and having done all to stand, you just stand. And so uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, we find those same verses, those same words. This is one of the places I'll read too, but I'm going to read this one and let you be seated. But Ephesians 6 and 11 says, put on the whole armor of God. Now, you don't need armor, I understand, if you're not in the battle, but you're not battling the devil. That you may be able to stand, notice you're not standing against the devil, but against what? The wiles of the devil. It's not a word we use. It means trickery, deceit, lies. His, it actually, in the Greek, it means his methodology. How he comes at us with these fiery darcy suggestions with words. That's how the enemy battles us. And then verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It is interesting to note that I've taught you, and you know this probably. I don't mean to offend you. Some in here probably don't know this. But if you're reading a King James Version or a New King James Version, at least, you will see italicized words. Those words that are italicized do not appear in the original language. But they've been added by the translators to help fill in the what they consider to be the blanks or the meaning. So actually what it says against spiritual of wickedness in the heavenly. Because you see the word host and places are italicized. And then lastly verse 13 says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand. Let me say this and I'm going to let you be seated. The word wrestle appears how many times in those verses? It's not hard. One time. The word stand appears four times in verses 10 through 18. And so it says to stand against the wiles of the devil, to withstand in the evil day. And then it says having done all to stand, then it says again stand therefore. So four times the Holy Spirit tells us to stand 
And only one time does he tell us that there's, uses the word wrestle, yet many Christians are so focused on wrestling their way to victory. That's all they want to talk about. Let me tell you something. You are, you are already, as I tell you again, on victorious ground. You've already received the victory. That's why you're called in the Bible more than a conqueror. Because you didn't conquer, Jesus conquered and he gave you the victory. Amen? So, Father, we do thank you for the victory that's been granted us, imputed to us through Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And we pray today by the power of that victory that your people will come into a revelation and an illumination and an enlightenment to the finished work, the completed work, the victorious work of Jesus our Savior on the cross and stand fast in that victory in Jesus' name. Everybody says amen. amen. You can be seated. God bless you. Look to the person to your left and right and tell them they're as pretty as they can be this morning. Tell them how cute they look. <clears throat> no lying in the house of the Lord. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 10 is another area that it talks about warfare, I guess, is where we would go. Second Corinthians 10, verse 3, 4, and 5. Read with me. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The word stronghold is a belief system. That's literally what it means. It's, a, it's, an, it's an idea. It's a, it's, a, it's a philosophy. It's something that a person thinks. And then verse 7 says, casting down arguments. And then it says, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Or anything that tries to exalt itself against you getting to really know God. And then it says, bringing into every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That last verse has really troubled a lot of believers if they're honest. Because most of you have heard that preach like this. That you are to make your mind mind you. In other words, you're to take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. In other words, you're to make yourself obey Christ even in your thinking which is futile, ridiculous, nobody can do it. Because if it didn't say every thought, we might have a hope. But it says to bring how many thoughts? Every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And, and literally what it says in the, 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 the Greek, the interlinear Bible reads it this way in many other uh, translations. It says leading captive every thought into the obedience of Christ. Now listen to me about spiritual warfare. It's in your mind. This is what it's just saying. In other words, what, what, what are you to do? How do you win in spiritual warfare if the battle's in your mind? You focus your thoughts not on what you've done or haven't done, on your obedience or not obedience. I'm not saying your obedience doesn't matter. I'm saying the Bible says that you're to bring every one of your thoughts when you're in spiritual warfare to, the, to lead those thoughts into the focusing on the obedience of Christ because it is his obedience that has set you free. In other words, you're to focus on Jesus. You're to focus on his obedience. You're not to look at yourself in the mirror and say, well, I'm not doing very well or I'm, I'm, I'm a bum or I'm, I'm, I'm this or I'm that because then you're focusing on yourself. You're doing that very thing that Satan tricked them in the garden to do, to start looking at themselves instead of looking at God. And so that's, that's, the enemy has not changed his mode of operation since the Garden of Eden. He still comes against us with words. What did he come against Adam and Eve with? 
He came with words. He didn't come with M16s. He didn't come with nuclear weaponry. He didn't come with bombs. He didn't come with any force. Why, why, not, why use a serpent? Why not use a mastodon? Why not use a, a, a big elephant to go in there and say, you obey me or I'll crush your skull? He used a serpent, the most subtle beast, the Bible said at that time. He convinced that serpent to go in with him and, and yield to him. And he used those words to make them doubt God's word and to who they were in God. He lied to them and said, if you'll just do this, you'll be like God. The truth was they were already like God. What does he do today with us? He comes at you with words, with thoughts, with ideas, imaginations. Strongholds, things. strongholds are where people have a belief system. It's like some of these people that write into me, they have a belief system that God kills people. They go to the Old Testament and they look at when God's wrath was upon sin and disobedience under the law and that was true. But you can't find that in the New Testament. Somebody says, well, God killed Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. They were not believers. God didn't kill them. The Bible never says that. Preachers told you that. You didn't get that from the Bible. I remember sitting in chairs and pews like you and hearing preachers preach to me and tell me that in the last days God was going to start killing people in the church again, just like he did in Acts 5. And they said it was going to cause great fear to come upon a church and a bunch of people get saved. That's the Godfather. That's the Godfather. People ain't doing right. You kill off a few people. Put the fear of God in everybody else. And they'll tighten up. If, if, if killing people randomly, just killing a few people brings people to salvation, Jesus' coming was in vain. And if God did kill them, why did he stop killing? I know a bunch of people need killing. Not really, I'm just bad preacher, bad preacher. Just seeing if you was listening. If the truth sets us free, and that's what the Bible says, that's what sets people free, the truth. Now, I'm going to say some things today, and some of you that really love me up to this point are going to struggle with me after this message. And I'm talking about my good grace point people. This, you've been real patient up to now. Now, I'm not after anything, but I'm going to have to say some things today that people are not going to like. It's new for me. I'll give it a try, okay? If the truth sets us free, then the lack of truth does the opposite. It binds us up. God said in Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for what? Lack of knowledge. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. You got a lot of people that pray for peace, especially when they're troubled and they pray for peace. Because they think peace is out there somewhere and if they'll pray hard enough, it'll come here. Or they think peace is like a prescription behind the counter at the drugstore. That if they'll pay the price, that the pharmacist will hand the peace across the counter and you could pop a few pills when you need it and have peace of God. That's not how peace comes. Everybody in here has the peace of God if you're born again. Because peace is part of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. So you received the peace of God when you received Jesus. It came on board. Because when you receive Christ, the Spirit of God indwells you. Jesus said, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not, you're not of mine. So you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in your heart, in your spirit, in your new born-again perfect spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, but you have the fruit of the Spirit as well. So you have peace. You have love. You have joy. 
You, you have these things. You have faith. You have all these things. You don't need God to provide that. You already have it. You, you need to release that that you have. But let me tell you how the Bible says you can multiply that. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the what? In your prayer closet? Now let me say, I'm going to say something. I believe in prayer. But I don't have to pray near as long as I used to. Because I don't beg God for what he's already given me. Okay? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in, in what? In the knowledge, knowledge, knowing of God and of Jesus our Lord. So how does, how, how does peace get multiplied to you? See, it's, it's not that you'll be given grace and peace. You already have peace as a fruit of the Spirit, but it will be multiplied to you the more you know about the finished work of Jesus. It says in verse 3, as his divine power has given to us, how many things? Has given, past. How many things? That pertain to what? Life and godliness. You have everything you need. And where is it at, preacher? In your born-again spirit. In your spirit, God put everything that you would ever need. Now, I realize that we're not all manifesting everything that we need. But it's in you. you don't, your problem is not you need more faith. The problem is you need to believe God and release the faith he's given you as a gift. The problem is not that you don't feel the love of God. The problem is you, don't, you, you have the love of God on the inside of you. The Bible says the love of God was shed abroad in your heart. Was, past tense. But it says here that, that you have everything pertaining to life and godliness through what? How's it come though? Through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. Now instead of doing spiritual warfare by screaming at every already defeated devil that you can think of just enforce the victory that Christ has already won for you now listen to me the early church did not bind the strong man now some of us that were raised like I was in Pentecostal and then into charismatic uh, uh, surrounding and I'm not bitter about that I, I'm just saying I, I, I got caught up in a lot of stuff that was non-bible non and, and many of you have too and maybe some of you are there today and this podcast, I pastor a lot more people than is sitting in these chairs. This, this goes out, I don't mean that arrogantly, I just mean this podcast goes really all over the world. Anybody who has a computer anywhere in the world. We've got men and women in the, in the Air Force that listen to this every week and people all over. And, uh, but the early, when Jesus talked about, uh, you know, that you have to bind the strong man, he was talking about himself. He says, I'm going to bind the strong man. You, a stronger than a strong man has to bind. He's not, that, wasn't, that was not instruction on you to bind the strong man. If you could bind him, Jesus wouldn't have to come. Demonic strongholds, all, all these things, you know. The, what is the power of God to, to, for, to salvation? Now, please don't misunderstand me. And don't let me make a statement to make you just write me off and say I'm not listening to anything else. But the Apostle Paul never sent a group of intercessors into a city to pray so that he'd be successful before he went in to preach the gospel. I thought I'd get that response. And because we read in some book where some preacher did that a hundred years ago, then here that, that's the methodology, that's what you're supposed to do. Well, Jesus didn't do that. Paul didn't do that. Because why? Because they, is it wrong to pray? I'm not saying it's wrong to pray. I'm not saying there's nothing demonic about that. Sin all you want to. But your success is not in, listen, you can't get people saved by praying. 
I thought I'd get that response as well. You can't pray people to salvation. You can pray for people that they would hear the gospel. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So anytime I preach the gospel, the power of God is being released and demonic strongholds are being pulled down. What sets people free is the truth. And so Paul knew that. He didn't have to send in, you know, and, and listen, I want people to pray with me and for me, but, but and you're going to misunderstand this. And I know I've gotten caught up in things before too, but over the years I've had people say, I want to be your armor bearer. I want to be your intercessor. And what they were really saying is, I want to know all about your business. I want to be all up in your grill, and I want to know every time you and Jill have an argument or, you know, I just want to know everything about you. And then next thing you know what they're doing, they're telling me what God told them to tell me to preach. You, you don't need nothing official. If you want to pray for me, have at it. And I'm not saying I don't value your prayers. I, I covet your prayers. But, I, listen, the power is in the gospel. That's the power of God to see men saved. So you can pray for them. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for people to be saved, although people will quote and say I said that. I'm saying pray for them. But if you're going to pray for them, do like Paul said, pray that the blindness is on their minds. Notice he said blind minds would be revealed so that they could hear the gospel and believe. So that they could hear the gospel. See, that's what, see, how can they hear without a preacher? Romans 10, read Romans 10. It says, how shall they be saved unless someone preached to them? The Bible says, by the foolishness of preaching, it said it pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching, men would be saved. So if you want people saved, you have to preach to them. And you, you have to preach the gospel, which is good news to them. You can't preach them dangling them over hell on a rotten stick. You can't call them names and you can't do all those things that's not the Bible. You're to tell them that God has reconciled the sin of the world unto himself through Jesus and that God's not angry with them and that he has forgiven the world of their sin because Christ took away the sin of the world and you're, you're to, to beseech them to be reconciled to their Father God who loves them. That's the gospel. That's the, that's the good news. So don't allow the enemy to draw you in away from Christ. How, how do you resist the devil? James 4, 7 says, by submitting to God. Submit yourselves. See, a lot of people quote like this. They say, the Bible says, resist the devil and he'll flee. That's not what the Bible says. That's a half verse quote. At least quote the whole verse. What does the verse say? Submit to God. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. How do you resist the devil? By submitting to God. You don't fight the devil. Jesus already done that for you. The, the, see, the thing is, the devil is after God's word in you. That's what he's after. And the word that God has spoken to you, the promise that you're standing on, that's what he's after. And he wants to get you to doubt it. And if he can succeed in doing that, then he gets a foothold in your mind. And, 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 he, and then through that wrong belief system, he'll just wreak havoc in your life because you're believing his lies. I told you he's going to come just like he did at Adam and Eve. He's going to come with words. And so just like he did with Jesus. Look at Jesus. How did Satan attack Jesus? Jesus just has come from a few weeks prior from his water baptism, public baptism, where the God, his father, audibly spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. By the way, who had not preached a sermon who had not healed anyone sick, had not done one miracle, had not preached or taught any Bible, 
hadn't done anything but be a blue-collar worker in a carpenter shop that his dad owned. And God said, I'm pleased with you. And you're my beloved. You, you're not only loved, you be loved. That's, that's what it means. What did Satan do three, three, four weeks later when he comes against him? He says, if you are the son of God, then why are you out here in the wilderness? Why, why, you, why, ain't, why ain't you got money to pay your light bill? I, why, why are they going to come get your car? I, I thought God was a provider. Where, if you are the son of God, where's your bread? Command this stone to be bread then. If, if, you, if you are God's son, why, why are you in this? I mean, where's your bed? Where's the roof over you? Where's your, why, why are you in the wilderness out here? I thought he was a good daddy. If you are the son of God. And I've told you this before. But me, you may not have heard it, but he didn't say, he misquoted. Why didn't Satan say, if you are the beloved son of God? <laughs> See, Satan just said, if you are the son of God. He left that word out intentionally. Because it is only people that don't know that they're really loved by God that are subject to temptation. If you really know that God loves you no matter what you do or don't do, Satan, Satan they don't leave him much room. If you know I don't mean in your head, but in your heart. If you know God loves you, Satan, that just takes away most of his armor against you, his, his, his weaponry against you. And so he tried to get Jesus to doubt that he was the son of God. He left out that God loved him. And then he tried to come against him and said, look at your surrounding circumstances. And this verifies that God don't love you, and that's not true. See, many people don't know the truth about Satan's defeat. And, and we need to believe that Satan has already been, listen to me, completely destroyed as far as his authority. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. I knew you wouldn't believe it unless I could prove it to you. It says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise, talking about Jesus, shared in the same. And listen, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. And in case you're confused, that is the devil. You see that? When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, he destroyed the authority, the power that the devil has. Another place it says, for this purpose he was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Y'all believe that? And so what we need to do is we need to enforce this defeat. We need to stand in, in this and say, listen, listen, the only power that Satan has is the power to deceive you, if you believe him. And our battle according to Ephesians 6 and 11, is against trickery of the devil, the, the lies of the devil, but it's not against the devil himself. An, another, uh, let me say it like this, any other approach that we have is actually giving the devil authority and power that he doesn't have, and if you give him power and authority, he will use that that you gave him to intimidate you with. And the only weapon that he has is the power that we give him. That's what he uses against us. Listen, warfare only take. listen, warfare, if you're going to have warfare, it can only happen between two undefeated foes. That's the only, in other words, if you're going to have war, that means two people are battling, two nations or whatever, two armies are battling against each other, and neither one of them has been defeated yet. Because if one of them was defeated, you wouldn't have a war any longer. All right? Once an enemy's been conquered, the war's over. Satan is a defeated foe. 
Colossians 2.15 says this, and having spoiled principalities and powers. King James uses the word spoiled there. That means to, to, to strip him of everything of value that he ever had. When an army went in and spoiled their enemy, that means they took everything of value that that enemy had. Their money, their clothing, their weaponry, everything that they had. He said Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. So if Jesus stripped principalities and powers, why are you trying to fight with them? He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The New King James says he's having disarmed, having past tense, disarmed principalities and powers. He disarmed them. This means that after Jesus' defeat of Satan, he stripped him of everything of value. Now, I told you this scripture the other day, Matthew 28, 18. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Everybody look at me. All power is given unto Jesus in where? Heaven and where? All right, now did Jesus lie when he said that? Because Jesus said he had all power. So if he's got all power, how much power does that leave for Satan? If Jesus has all power, then that means Satan don't have any power. But he, you can empower him. You can arm a disarmed enemy. You, you can, and how do you do that? So I'm not saying that the devil doesn't exist. I'm not saying that he's not real. I, I got this blog I've been wanting to put out, but I don't, I don't, I, I just hate the, what I'm going to get. So I have to wait till I feel a little tougher. But I think it's, I got it, I've had it wrote for a while, but it's like seven, five, ten ways that Christians unknowingly glorify Satan. Whoo, that's going to give me some kickback. But one of the ways we glorify him is we blame him for everything. We blame him for everything. Brother Dale, I'd have been at church today, but that devil, man, he flattened my tire. No, you're riding on slicks. You run over a nail. It wasn't had nothing to do with the devil. My washing machine, that devil tore up my washing machine. Some, you, wait, some people talk, the devil just does everything. He, everything that happens in their life is bad is, you know, the devil. Listen, you're living on a fallen planet. Mechanical things wear out. Tires go flat. But see, you glorify him. I, I used to have, you know, this preacher years ago, and, and I mean, he, he did this ignorantly, so I'm not after nobody. But, but he, every service he would start this worship service or the church service like this. First word out of his mouth at every worship service was Satan. He would say, Satan, we take authority over you tonight. We bind you from this place in Jesus' name. We plead the blood of Jesus over this property and over this place. We command every demon and devil to get out of here. You have no authority here. All that sounds good, but it don't not work. Because if you made all the demons leave, then half your congregation would get up and walk out. <laughs> Listen, I'm sorry. Jill, see, Jill needs to get back to the front row because she prays for me not to be mean and she's missing. You, you can't make all the demons leave. I mean, think about it. If that worked, why, why didn't Jesus do that? I mean, in other words, if you can, if you can rise your faith up and, and, and take authority over this right here and make every, all, every demonic spirit and everybody, you either in here, you either saved or, you know, you, you run them off. I mean, 
what, what, expand your, your, uh, your circumference. Why limit it to this property? Let's just work all 84 while we're working. Let's just take, let's just take over all of Valdosta. Once you get that done, then why don't we just get Georgia while we're at it? I mean, why stop there? I knew this was going to go down like a rat sandwich. <laughs> the Greek word translated here in Colossians 2.15, triumphing over them, means to make an acclamatory, you're acclaiming something, procession. It, it means to, to announce something. And so what, what this is really referring to and what they knew in the imagery they saw in their mind was the Romans, when they conquered an army, they would take the leader of that army and or is king of that nation. I started not even say this, but I, this is literally what they would do, the history tells us. But they would take off the right toe of that conquered king, both feet, and they would cut off his thumbs on both hands. And the conquering king would ride in a procession through the streets of the city. And then they would drag this guy behind. You know, he would normally be roped, had a rope around him and being walking through the city. And what they were showing, and I'm talking about back home in their city, they would do this. So they would come back to their city and they would bring that defeated enemy through that town and let all their people see him. And... Uh, the reason they would take off his thumb is because that way he couldn't hold a sword anymore. And they were literally saying to the people, you don't have to fear him ever again. He can't even pick up a sword against you. And we took off his right toes on both, big toe on both feet because he can't ever run again. So he can never chase you again. And he never can pursue you again. And you don't ever have to worry about him and be fearful of him ever again. And I just want you to see that. That's what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible said in Colossians that he made a public display. He put him on display. And he made a procession and a, and a parade all through the New Testament. And he showed us a defeated enemy that you don't ever have to fear again. Because we have too big a devil, the church that I grew up in, and too little of a God. And I really literally grew up thinking that God was like here. And the devil was right here in power and they were duking it out. And I was caught in the crosshairs, crossfire. That is not the biblical image of the enemy. He is defeated. And if you'll believe this message today, you'll walk in greater victory because the only power he has is the power to lie to you, to get you to agree with him. And so there is a battle going on, but it's not out there that we got to go do something. Satan's aim is to corrupt our minds and to, the Bible says to take us away from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 3. This is what Paul said. He said, 2 Corinthians eleven three. 3, I fear, he says, lest somehow as the serpent, just like in the words, just like the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds, see where the battle is? So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Many translations render that like this, that, that somehow we would be led away from this pure and sincere devotion of Jesus. I want to tell you, spiritual warfare, the way it's taught today and practiced in a lot of the church today, is one of the greatest distractions from Jesus that I've ever seen. That's going to get quiet here now. I'm going to have to name a couple of things. Many Christians, listen to me, unknowingly, unwittingly, 
are the very instruments that the devil is using to foster the deception that he is still powerful. And, 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 and I, I'm amazed at the amount of energy that I used to get involved with and that people today are still in church or spending tremendous amounts of prayer time and energy and fasting, and, and, and they're constantly battling the devil in ways that are contrary to Scripture. Reality, Satan has been defeated, and you don't have to defeat him again. He's already been defeated. And so this are some things, and I, I can only mention a few, but these are some things that Christians have done and are doing in their battle, in their spiritual warfare. Christians, and a lot of you grew up in churches like this. Man, we had a good service tonight. They would say we didn't have any preaching. Who's ever heard that comment say? Okay. So I just know. All right, we had a good, and so, and then, and then you would hear this. Man, we don't need no more preaching. We've had enough preaching to save the world. What we need is the power of God. I'd hear churches going three, four, five, six weeks without even a sermon preached. And they would say, man, we're having revival. We're having, you, you, you having nothing. Because the power of, of God is the gospel. That's the power of God. 1 Corinthians 121 says it pleased God by the foolish of preaching to save them. So the devil delights when we give ourselves to prayer time and prayer intercession when our prayers are meaningless and fruitless. He don't care if you pray 10 hours a day as long as you're praying for what God's already given you. And the fact that you're praying for it is, a, is, an, is an expression of your unbelief that you have it. So you pray for the mind of Christ instead of thanking him for the mind of Christ. You beg God to, to, uh, to do this or to do that when he said that I've already done it. And, and, and so we just don't believe. One of the craziest things I've seen, and I don't necessarily have seen it around here in our area, but it was very popular. And I'm only mentioning things that came that was known across the world. Graves, you know, people that said, we need the power of God. So one of the ways that Christians thought of how they could get the power of God is they call it grave soaking. Grave sucking. And so, and there's people that still practice this, Christians. I mean, Christians, we, we are some of the flakiest people in the world. If you want to get around some nutty people, just get around some Christians. And you can find some nuts, toast, posty flakes. Not in our church, but I've heard of it in other places. <laughs> grave sucking. Grave soaking. So they go to the grave. They'll travel all across the world and find the grave of a great patriarch or a saint. And then they lay on top of that grave. And then they begin to pray that the mantle of that dead person will come upon them and they will have the power of God that they need to go out and do ministry. How dumb can you be and still breathe? That's not where the power of God. And you shall, Acts 1 and 8, and you shall receive power. When? After the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When did the Holy Spirit come upon you? When you got born again. And I know some of you raised Pentecostal and can't say amen to that. Because you think you got saved without the Holy Spirit. But you didn't. God says, I've already blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit a spiritual blessing? Well, you already have it. Just release your prayer language. Release that God's put in you. Thank him for it. Walk in the fullness of it. Stop. That's why people spend 20 years seeking the Holy Ghost, because they already got it. 
No wonder you can't get it again because you got it when you got born again. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Territorial mapping is another thing. This was popularized by some very famous charismatic preachers. Territorial mapping. Uh, 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 they even sometimes they call it, uh, what do they call it, demonic typology or something. They, but they, they spend a tremendous amounts of research and energy to try to find out uh, in their geographic area what demons have been, you know, active. And then they pray against those demonic spirits. And they'll, it, it keeps the church real busy. Satan loves it. He loves us to do stuff like that. Um, another, time, another thing, they spend time seeking uh, the names of demons. And they believe if they can just find out the name of that demon, then that gives them power over that demon. So you, you want to get a name of a demon? Leviathan. Well, that's, well I got power now because I know his name. Really? See, I'm not saying demons don't exist. I'm not saying people don't have are, demon, are not demonized because I've run into them. Okay? But what I'm saying is that's not what gives you the power. The Bible says you cast them out by the word of the Lord. Not because you know their name. Well, didn't Jesus ask? You ain't Jesus. He, he, I mean, one time Jesus asked that guy, what's his name? He said, my, my name's Legion. Jesus was not teaching you this is how you do every time. No. This is before Jesus even went to the cross. Everything changed when he died on the cross, and you've got to understand that. Show that to me after the cross. You won't find it. Why didn't Paul do that? When a demonized girl that caused him to end up, him and Silas end up in the Philippian jail, why didn't he ask her, that demon, what's your name? The Bible said Paul would just go to, was doing his thing, and, and this woman just kept following him. You know what she was saying? You know what was bothering Paul? She was following Paul and Silas while they were in Macedonia preaching the gospel. And this woman would be in the, in the procession of people behind them. And, and she would say, hear ye these men. These men are men of God. That's what she was saying. She was saying, hear these men. These men are from God. And Paul said that vexed him. Because see, you can say the right thing but have a wrong motive and a wrong spirit. And Paul said after many days... He turned around, and he, by the Spirit's knowledge, he knew it was a divination spirit. And he cast that devil out of her. And boy, her masters got really upset because they were making money off that woman. They got really upset. Throw him in jail. You see, you see it's, just, it's just all this foolishness we get caught up in in the church. And the devil loves it because we get off our eyes off of Jesus. So we don't need territorial mapping and demonic powers to be mapped out. and We just need to believe the gospel and get men saved. You can't get men saved with a map. Praying over inanimate objects and then burying these objects in the ground somehow gives you power over the enemy. Oh, here we go, God. Please don't get mad at me. I do love people, and I do love people to love me, but I work for somebody. Uh, if you go online, don't do it now while I'm preaching. Some of them are getting a little cold. Somebody help me with the AC a little bit. But if, if, um, if uh, see how prophetic I am? See how this amazing gift I have. Uh, 
But you can go online. Now, this is no offense to you that were raised Catholic, but you can go online. And if you were raised Catholic, you know what I'm supposed to say. But you can go online on Amazon, and for $9.95, you can buy a statue of Joseph. And if you're trying to sell your house, every good Catholic knows that you are to go in your yard, dig a foot-deep hole, and bury the statue of Joseph, Jesus' dad, earthly dad, upside down. Because if you bury him upside down, he'll work harder to get out. And I'm not making that up. You can read it online after service today. Be good Sunday afternoon entertainment for you. All right. But now I would just say to you, no offense to Catholic people, but a statue of Joseph is not going to save your house. And then for nine days, they have written prayers that you say every day for nine days. And because you got Joseph buried, and he's a carpenter, so he'll say you have. And they also, and you can buy that on, online. It's called Sell Your House Kit. I'm serious on Amazon.com. I'm not lying. I'm serious. You can buy it online. I saw one this morning. I verified it. I'm, I always verify what these things I tell you. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to lie to you. If I, if I tell you something, I think it's true. Okay, but I investigate. And I looked at one 9.95. Sell Your House Joseph Kit. I saw one even for $5, but it didn't look like it had much stuff in it. <laughs> now listen, not only did that, see, that's the, that's the statue of the saint that you use to sell your house. There's also a statue you can buy if you're trying to buy a house to get a good house. And I don't know what you do with that unless you go to the yard that you want the house and want them to come down and sneak in there at night and bury it in that yard. There's also a statue that if you're a Catholic lady trying to get pregnant and are having trouble, that you put a certain statue, by the way, which is a man, and which is a man saint who is a virgin man, but you bury him in your backyard, and that's supposed to make you get pregnant. Now, I would think, and I don't mean that insulting, and I don't mean that, I don't mean that insulting, but I'm just saying, I'm trying to be understood here this morning. Most of us in here don't believe that that's what we need to do to sell our house, to buy a house, or to get pregnant. Okay, we believe that we have a God that hears and answers prayer and that, that he's provided everything that we'll need and we'll just trust him. And I don't have to go to trouble to bear. So, so we don't believe in that. Okay, and, and charismatic Pentecostals by and large would mock that and say that's just stupid, that's ridiculous. But they do the same thing. So right here in this church, last year, we were contacted and asked to host Pray Georgia for the elections. And I, and I wanted to be nice. And it wasn't taking up our Sunday service, so I said, sure, we'll, we'll provide our building for these people. Now, they might listen to this and get really mad with me on podcast. So I'm not calling names, but I did want to be specific. Because right here in this house, I sat right on the front row. Because I came that night, whatever night it was. I came that night because I'm the host pastor. I didn't say a word, didn't want to. But I, just, I felt like for my people's sake, I needed to be here. Because I do believe in praying for the election. I do believe in praying for our leaders and government. I believe in all that. So don't, don't, don't try to pigeonhole me somewhere that I'm not. But the whole service that night, and I was so grieved. Now my people on my staff, they all three knew it that night. That they all three came to me before I even cleared the, the thing. Because they knew that I wasn't for none of it. And only out of courtesy did I remain seated. And if that had been something going on in my Sunday service, I would have interrupted the speaker and shut it down. That's how bad it was. Because what the woman did is spent 45 minutes telling us 
God told her to get a peach seed from Georgia, olive something from Israel, and go to Washington and plant something in the dirt and say a prayer over it. And now, she said, because she did that, we got a vector triangle of openness between Georgia and Israel and Washington, and, we, and everybody in here shouted when she said that. And it made me nauseous. That's a voodoo. And don't knock the Catholic for bearing Joseph upside down in their backyard if you're going to do the same thing with a peach seed. Just because you bear a peach seed don't give you spiritual power over the devil over Georgia. Now, I hate to have to be that blunt, but I was grieved, man, by that. I was nauseated when I left here that night. And it makes me want to never host any kind of stuff again because the church is just full of nuttiness. So now we had to wait till this woman be born and for her to be alive and her to get a plane ticket to Washington before we get a vector openness between Georgia, Israel, and Washington. Well, we need to worship her because Jesus left something undone and if she hadn't done it, we'd still be bound up. I don't believe it. Here's another one. I researched it this morning just so I'd be accurate. I don't think they have it available now. But a lot of you, you know, with the Elijah list, I'm not against the Elijah list. I personally don't have the time for 12 prophecies a day about breakthrough. I wish somebody would give me a prophecy about just get through. Everybody wants a breakthrough. Sometimes you just need somebody to give you a word that'll get you through. You know what I'm saying? Just, or give me a drive-through word. I want a drive-through. <laughs> Drive-by, you know? I believe in prophecy. I prophesy. I spoke prophetically to a man this morning up here in the altar. What I felt like God said, told me to tell him. I believe in prophecy. I've seen God do amazing things through the prophetic word of God. So don't, I believe, I believe in prophecy more than you even realize. But you, you, you got to understand, that's not, these things, so here we go years ago, and now you, you, you order the kit. And again, off the Elijah list, you could order a cleansing your land and your home kit. And it comes with stakes, wooden stakes, that you drive a wooden stake into the ground. You ever heard of a, driving a wooden stake in anybody or anything? That's all voodoo stuff, man. The church, even in Pentecostal, it's got a mixture of stuff that's crept into the church and it's taken our eyes off of Jesus, and that's why I'm against that. Just because you take a wooden stake and go to the four corners of your land and drive it in there, and then you pour the oil that they provided on top of that. By the way, it's not, it's not free. You have to purchase it. Wink, wink, that's the real motive. But you pour, listen, I don't care who it is. You're not, going to, you're, not, you're not going to get something special because you buy their handkerchief. Because you buy this, oh, holy water. We have found the whole. No. Stop selling junk. Gullible Christian, just buy anything. Fear sells a lot of stuff. Fear is powerful. And so all you have to do, and I'm not, if you go on Google and type in spiritual things about spiritual warfare, you will find even popular preachers are on TV today selling spiritual warfare kits. 
They will, they, will, they will sell you volumes on how to discuss. This is another thing Christians waste time. Looking for, trying to identify and pray against and break generational curses. Nobody can teach or preach about generational curses from the New Testament. If they, if they even mention it, they have to go to the Old Covenant before Jesus went to the cross to talk about that. Jesus said that there was a time in the Word of God that the fathers would drink wine, sour wine, and their children's teeth would be set on edge. In other words, what the father did would affect the children. And the sins of the forefathers would visit to the third and the fourth generation. How many knows the Bible? But the Bible promised that there would be a time when this new covenant come that that would no longer be the case. And that they would no longer anything that each person would stand in their own self and, it, and, and what they'd done did not have. See, you're not, you're, you're not the product of your, your, your natural father. I understand genes. and I'm not saying deny that. But that's not your heritage anymore if you've been born again. You have a new father. Jesus is your father. And, and so you're... It's just ridiculous, and you go, well, my dad was this, my dad was that, and, you know, and, and yeah, I understand, but people are, get, they get involved around environments. If you're around and you were raised in a home of an alcoholic, it's, 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 your mind is filled with that kind of thinking. It's not that you're genetically prone to it and that you've got to have, I've said, I was a paramedic for 20 years. I sat in medical courses, and people said, you know, when they first discovered DNA, they could see a certain bend, you know, and if you had a certain bend, you was prone to be an alcoholic. And all that's lies, man. That's, you, Jesus set you free from everything. Whom the sun sets free. They're free, indeed. They're, that means they're really, really free. Man, we're really, really free when you accept Jesus and the freedom that he bought and paid for by his shed blood on the cross. And you don't have to get caught up in all this stuff. Because all of it is designed by the enemy to take our eyes off of Jesus. And then it's something that we do to set us free. Well, you'll be free, brother, when you die. So death is our, our Savior then. Well, Jesus shouldn't have to come then. Because we're all going to die, so death, we'll just worship death. Because death will save us. Death will make us a better person. See how ridiculous that is? Listen, there's not anything that you can bury in the ground. Now, I know, I can tell, I, mean, I don't know of anything in the natural now. But in the spiritual, I just feel some of us in this room have done those type things. I've got caught up in stuff like that. I, I'm, I, I, I've, but I've seen a lot. I mean, I, I've had a, I, had a, I had a pastor in another city years ago that got caught up in this. They read a book by somebody that said you're supposed to go to the you know, four corners of your city and nail these things down, pour oil over it, and stand there and, and rebuke the principality over that region and take authority, and, and, and they just go into war with a defeated devil. What you're really doing is he, he, he's loving the press you're giving him. You're empowering him. What do you think a pastor that starts every service, Satan, I bind you? The first words out of his mouth is Satan. Satan loves that. He's being talked about every Sunday at church. The New Testament really gives, especially after the cross, very few words that you even find the devil even mentioned. The Bible don't give him much press at all, but the church gives him a lot of press. And they give him a lot of glory. And they, they give him a lot of power that he don't have. But listen, so, so this person, this pastor got involved in some of this stuff. I'm talking about successful church. I helped the pastor plant the church. Running 150 people plus, successful. And, and, and I, I'm not making that up because this man here, this man's been with me forever. <laughs> Just about for a network. And he knows. 
And he knows who I'm talking about before I even get there. So at least you know I'm not lying. I'm, I, I got to tell the truth in front of him. And uh, I, you know, and, and just went to war. You know, going to take that county. Well, next thing you know, we got all kind of problems. And I remember one time I, I had dinner with them and uh, my wife and I after I'd preached there. And, and there was just a, an excitement because this person, this pastor said that there was a warlock had, you know, was following them around the county while they were trying to put out their stakes and all, and trying to curse them and all. And, and the pastor was giggly. And I knew that bothered me that night, my spirit. It just bothered me because they were enjoying that way too much. Why would you be giggly about a demonic if it was a warlock, you know? Could have just been somebody trying to find a residence close to where you was at. But anyway, but I'm just saying to you, I watched that pastor in that church get destroyed. The pastor lost their marriage, lost their health, and the city lost a great church. And as I look back upon it, I believe it's because of what I'm telling you. They got involved in spiritual warfare. And they empowered an enemy that was already defeated and disarmed. And if they'd have just kept preaching Jesus and focused on the finished work of the cross, I believe the church would still be there today. But they didn't. And I've seen that get to be such a distraction because let me tell you something that causes people to sink. Peter walking on a storm, taking your eyes off of Jesus. And that's the whole motive behind every bit of this. And so there's nothing that you can bury in the ground that's going to give you a power. See, if I have to bury something to sell my house, and what hope does a Christian have that don't, can't buy the kit? I mean, in other words, if you bury something on the ground at your property and you have more power now over the devil than I do because I didn't bury something, that ain't fair. I might not have a shovel. You understand what I'm saying? I mean... I thought, I thought Jesus provided it all for us. I want to tell you something. The only thing that's ever been buried in the ground that brought power is when Jesus was buried in the ground. And he didn't stay there for three days. He came right back out. Glory to God. That's where the power of God comes from. Now, don't you stand with me? Ministry team, come. I'm not done yet, but I'm, I'm going to quit. <laughs> Somebody say, thank God. Now, listen to me. This is the point. Listen to me. Look to Jesus who has overcome the world. Look, look to Jesus who has conquered the sin of the world. Look to Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Look to Jesus. If you're struggling with sin and addiction, look to Jesus. Don't look at your addiction or your sin. Focus on Jesus. Look to him. Look to the cross. And the only way, listen to me, the only way that you and I as believers can lose the battle. The Bible says fight the good fight of what? Faith. You're not fighting the devil. The only fight you and I have, listen, is to believe God and to stay in faith. Especially when it doesn't look like things are going like they should be going. And so the only way we can lose is if we believe the lies of the devil. If we attribute to him more power than he has. If we look at the devil and see him as an undefeated foe, that we're still battling him, and that somehow God and the devil are still duking it out, they're fighting it out, and we're caught in the crossfire, then you empower him and you believe in a much too stronger devil and too weak of a God. Let me tell you something what that is. 
you, you're not weak and the devil is strong. Greater is he that's within you than he that's in this world. You've already been declared more than a conqueror through Christ. And that's not just pep rally words. That's the gospel. That's the truth. And so when you say the devil's powerful and I'm weak, then what you're saying is that Jesus didn't finish it. When Jesus cried from the cross and said, it is finished, he really did finish it. There's not anything left for you to do to defeat the enemy. He's been defeated. And so if you say, I got to do this, or I got to do that, or I got to go bury this in my backyard, or I've got to go pour this out, or I've got to go chant this phrase, or do this prayer, or, or fly in the plane to this place, and to do this, then you're, do, you're focusing on what you're doing instead of what he's done. And when you do that, then that's when the power of the enemy is empowered because you attribute power to him and that you now take your eyes off of Jesus to fight him and you're, you're fighting paper lions. Listen, why, why do you think that the Bible says that Satan comes as a roaring lion? Why not as a roaring tiger? Why, why, why not as a vi poison viper? Why, you know, why not? Why a roaring lion? Out of all the animals, why would Satan come against us as a roaring lion? seeking whom he may devour. Why choose that? Why that persona? Because you read the Bible over and over, this is what it says about Jesus. It calls him the roaring lion. Or it says the lion of Judah has roared out of Zion. Listen to me. Most of you don't ever recognize the devil when he comes against you anyway because he wants you to believe that it's Jesus. See, law. He comes as a roaring lion. He wants you to believe that this is Jesus roaring at you. This is the Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin, reminding you of your sin. He wants to come like he's Jesus talking to you. You're not going to make it. You're, he's lying to you. He takes on the persona of Jesus, that roaring lion. Jesus is the only roaring lion. Jesus is the lion of Judah that's roared from the cross. Victory, victory, victory. And so when you believe in a strong devil and a weak you, that's anti-Christ, that's anti-cross. Listen, that's not good news. That's not the gospel. What it does do, it'll get your eyes off of Jesus and what he's done, and it will place your eyes upon yourself and what you yet need to do to gain victory. And that's what's demonic about it. It's diabolical, it's clever, but it's wrong. Your key to victory, your victory is not in front of you. Your victory is behind you at the cross 2,000 years ago. And if you'll just stand in that victory that's been won for you, stand in that, church. Stand in that. Don't get caught up in all these latest little things and these warfare kits. And Listen, there's no such thing now as a generational curse. Some of you can't even say amen to that because you've sat under so much generational curse teaching. And now you've got so many books in your study about generational, breaking generational curses. Because why? Fear sells. Fear sells a lot of books. Do you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross? One time those Roman soldiers, remember the, the fathers would drink sour wine and their children's teeth would be set on edge. Old covenant curse. Everything Jesus did physically, every word he said, every action, he, every movement was, was redemptive. So now one time the Roman soldiers dip a sponge into to, to hyssop to, 
to, it was like an analgesic, like a pain type thing. And they offered it to him. It was mixed with wine. They offered it to him on a sponge. And the Bible said he refused to drink. Remember that? And then you read in another one of the Gospels, another time they took a sponge and they dipped it only into sour wine. And they held that up to him. And he drank. He drank. What was he doing? He was breaking generational curses forever. Because that verse that said, sour wine, children, father drank sour wine, your heavenly father, drunk of the sour wine. They said they offered him sour wine. He said, yeah, I'll drink that. Because now my children's teeth will never be set on edge again by what their fathers have done. Because I'm breaking generational curses. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. And Galatians promises us that we've been redeemed from the curse of the law of all sin and all death. Don't ever believe a lie that you're doomed or under some kind of inferior problem because of generational problems up the line. Stop believing lies and stop empowering the devil. Jesus has redeemed us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And the more I see that my Savior did, the more I love him, the more I want to kiss him in the mouth, the more I, the more I love him. You, I can't even, I don't have words to tell you how much I love him for what he's done for me. I love the Lord. But more than that, I am loved by the Lord. I'm the disciple that the Lord loves. That's what counts. That's what counts. Now listen, if you're not born again, if you've never received Jesus by faith and put your trust and confidence in him as your Savior, believe on him. Just believe on him. That's all you have to do. You don't have to confess nothing but him. You confess that he is now your Lord. You confess with your mouth that he's your Savior. You confess that he is the way to righteousness and the only way to righteousness. You confess that. And the Bible says in Romans 10 and verse 9 and 10, that if you'll confess him and confess that righteousness that he gives, you're saved. It's just that simple. And believe on him. And you'll be saved. All that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 17. Just call on him today if you're not saved. And receive that. You know what happens when you receive him? Every generational curse. All those things, done. Don't have to do nothing. I'm not bearing nothing in my yard but a flower. Or a plant. I like doing that, but I ain't bearing nothing else because the one that set me free has already been buried, crucified, buried, and rose again. And thank God for Jesus. Amen. Father, we love you. God set us free from foolishness, distractions that take our eyes off of you and place them back upon us. When we look upon us for our redemption, we are naked. We are ruined. We have nothing to offer. But when our eyes are upon you, you offer everything we'll ever need and have already given us everything that pertains to life and godliness through your son. So let us stand in faith. And having done all to stand, let's stand. Let's stand in your victory. Stand in your victorious ground, the cross. I love you today, Father, and I'm loved by you. And that's amazing to me.
Thank you for that. I pray that if there's one here that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they would receive you now. Those that listen to my podcast over the internet, may they receive you there as well. In Jesus' name. If you want prayer today for any reason, you come this way. I'm going to release the church to go that way. You fellowship, hug each other's neck. We'll pray with you about anything. Please come if you want prayer. We love you. God bless you. See you in community groups this Wednesday night, this week. God bless you.